Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome back to Trades Work, where we highlight the issues important to the skilled trades our society depends on and always seeks to put Colorado first. Joining today is a very special guest, Ed Sealover, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and Editor of the Colorado Chamber of Commerce's Sum and Substance. Prior to joining the Chamber earlier this year, Ed had been at the Denver Business Journal and is a multiple-time award-winning reporter. My, how the tables have turned, Ed. It sounds a little sinister when you say it that way. Welcome. I've always been the one being interviewed, and today I get that role. I'm glad to have you here on the show. Welcome. We're happy to have you, and I can't wait to talk a little bit more about Sum and Substance. Thank you. So, Ed, you joined the chamber recently in what can only be described as a coup for them and Lauren Furman. Tell us a little bit more about your career prior to joining the chamber and your story about how you became a journalist. Well, I had been in journalism for 28 years before then, graduated from college in 1995, went straight into it, and as was the pattern in the old days, worked my way up through smaller towns and smaller papers, uh, starting at the uh, Southwest Times Record in Fort Smith, Arkansas for two years, spending three years in Anderson, South Carolina at the Independent Mail, uh, before making it out here uh, to work for the Colorado Springs Gazette in 2000, uh, where I stayed through 2008, uh, the last two years, taking over as their legislative bureau chief, went to the Rocky Mountain News for a uh, sad seven and a half months before the paper closed, not a Sad time, but sad that it closed, and then spent 14 years at the Denver Business Journal. So that's the the, the high level summary. Um, but how I became a journalist is is actually pretty simple. I love to write. I identified that early on in my high school career. I think at the time I was probably writing more poetry than anything else, but I was smart enough to realize that wasn't going to get me a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, really loved to learn as well. Uh, went into journalism, um, fell in love with the idea of finding out something new every day and serving as a pseudo-educator, if you will, for people who relied on me and relied on the others uh, at the papers I worked at uh, to get them the news of what was going on. Uh, And over the years, uh, that went from covering local government, covering state government, to covering all sorts of business while also covering state government as well, uh, and uh, just evolved into the current role. Yeah. Well, you, uh, I appreciated your journalism at the DBJ and always love working with you. You were one of probably the best reporters in that. You were very balanced and you were, you know, really searching for the story and very well respected, uh, your work there. And so Thank the you. chamber's, uh, lucky to have you. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, over your time at the DBJ, you covered a lot of different beats or a lot of different sectors. Um, what was your favorite or what has been your favorite? You, you know, my favorite, and this is an explanation of, of why I've ended up where I am now, was state government. Uh, people, in fact, people would always say, well, clearly your favorite's got to be restaurants or breweries. And I've, I've actually written two books on Colorado's beer scene. But what I truly loved was covering state government because it was the thing that I could write about that affected everyone. Uh, the things that are going on under the Capitol that so few people watch and that sadly too many people in our society uh, don't even know about because they're so focused on the U.S. Congress, which has less impact 
impact on their lives than what goes on at the Colorado Capitol um, was a way to say, look, here's what's happening. This is what may help your business. This is what may hinder your business. But you ought to know about this and you ought to know about this in a good enough time to get out there and have your input whether you want this to pass, to fail or, or to change in some way. And so I love digging for the things that people weren't writing about because there are always those subjects uh, that most – media organizations kind of focus on during a legislative session. Sometimes they are they are business uh, oriented, such as this year's focus on affordable housing and land use reform and what that could mean for actually building residences in this state. But there are so many others that affect business. The, the regulations they go through, the environmental regulations they are subject to, uh, sometimes some of the efforts to actually get people into the workforce that fly under the radar. Uh, and that's what I love to find out and bring to people's attention. Well, it's been fascinating to watch your new publication, The Sum and Substance, um, and uh, your work over at the Chamber. Why the change? What what ultimately led you to this new opportunity? There were a couple of things. I mean, part of it was that after uh, three years of what really felt like round-the-clock work since the start of the pandemic, I wanted something that, that, that gave – uh, a little better work-life balance. I'm, I'm not sure I found that yet, but I blame that more on the legislature than the chamber at this point. But I also, after after 14 years of covering the business community, I felt like this was my opportunity to, to step up and to maybe see what I could do with a little bit more of a leadership role. I know we're going to talk a lot about the Sum and Substance, which is our new news site that really focuses on business policy. But the, the other hat I wear, as you mentioned, is VP of Strategic Initiatives. And we're working with other groups and other organizations right now to try to advance certain things that, that can help not just the business community, but can help the Colorado community in general, such as a, uh, a multi-organization effort we're putting together right now on workforce development and where we can fill the gaps uh, to help employers who can't find skilled workers uh, to be able to get them in the future. And you know, after you've chronicled uh, the community for, for a decade and a half, I thought may, maybe my voice might be of some value. Maybe I could help come to a solution. Maybe in Instead of just waiting on the reports uh, and and writing about them, I could be a part of them and and, and help to move the state in a positive direction. And so that uh, really led me to, to decide I needed to make this leap, and and I'm glad I did. Yeah, well, we're we're glad you did too, because it's great to have your voice still involved down at the Capitol. Although I know that right now it doesn't feel like it's that rewarding of work because it's <laughs> just a fury because we're the last couple of weeks here before a session concludes. How's the transition been? I mean, I, I know you kind of were in flight uh, in the legislative session when you made that transition, but how has that been? You know, describe to us the the kind of the the things that most. Um, surprised you in this transition? You know, one of the interesting things about the transition is it's it's a pseudo-transition in some ways because by launching the Summon Substance, which is a website that we put up just a week after I started that focuses on business policy and is right now focused a lot on what's happening at the Capitol but is going to transition and do some more things coming out of hearings, state government initiatives, even some of the local government initiatives, anything that may affect the way that employers are able to operate. You know, I, I, I kind of kept 
kept a lot of the same hats on uh, that I wore with journalism there, except now that I'm, I'm going out and I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this. I am working for a business advocacy organization, um, but I'm trying to write a lot of this down the middle here. I really, you know, my motto has always been that nobody gets smarter hearing one side of the story. So uh, whether I'm writing something that the, the chamber loves, uh, writing about something the chamber hates, I'm trying to get both sides in there because everyone deserves to know uh, where these ideas are coming from. The easy part of the transition is I'm, I'm doing what I've been doing since 2007, and that is that I, uh, I'm going down to the Capitol, I'm watching hearings, I'm talking to people, uh, and I'm trying to translate what's going on down there into uh, a language that everybody can understand and decide whether they want to react to. Uh, the harder part is that it, explaining uh, the role to some people. Uh, there were some people who have been very supportive, um, particularly groups actually on both sides of the aisle, advocacy groups uh, of both liberal and conservative slants uh, have been very up for talking with me. Oh, yeah, I want to get my uh, my voice out there. I want your readers to hear what I have to say. You know, I want to know why – I want them to know why we're pushing this. Some legislators have been very um, <laughs> reluctant to speak with me now. Mm. I guess it feels uh, – and, and I had to explain that to several people early on. They said, "Oh, you're going to have to register as a lobbyist." I said, "No, I'm I'm not a lobbyist. I'm I'm not going to be lobbying. In fact, you know, we we have a, a dedicated policy team, and I, I'm not on the policy team. I am uh, I'm working for the organization, but I'm trying to kind of see this with a broader lens. And so, uh, it's been a little bit more difficult to get some legislators to speak with me." Which in some ways has been good because when you can't go to legislators, that means you have to search harder for the voices of people who are outside the legislature. And frankly, they're the ones maybe most of the time that need to be heard, that, that need to have their their opinions put out there, their analyses put out there. I think I'm still feeling around a little bit for my place and I think others are still looking at me and trying to figure out who I am uh, in mm -hmm. this new role. No doubt you'll be able to do that. So – that's kind of what makes you a, an award-winning journalist, and that's uh, – I mean it's a decorated career so far, and I know there's a lot more to come. Talk to us a little bit about um, uh, what you think has given you such a good feel for covering business issues at the Capitol. The main point is that I've been – so imbued in the community for the last decade and a half that it 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 comes more easily to understand what business wants, what business needs, what business is worried about, what business is excited about. So I, I think just you know all the time working with with organizations like yours um, or or others out there, you you see a bill, you hear about something that's coming, and you immediately think, whoa, that is going to affect how somebody is able to run their small business. That's going to affect how somebody's going to be able to to operate in an entire industry and you just immediately start thinking like a business person in that way and, and, and you ask the questions that are not like, oh, really? How did you negotiate this? But more they're like, okay, so what do you expect out of this? What is going to be the outcome? If this passes, what is going to be different uh, in the way that people are employed and employ people than they were uh, at the time you introduced this? And so uh, I, I guess as I look at what's going on down there, I'm always looking with that very narrow lens. And I, I was always – when I worked for the Rocky Mountain News, I covered everything. And, mm -hmm. and that has its own special appeal. But but it also has you know a, a lot of 
burdens that you don't have to as a focused reporter. I mean, the last thing I ever covered before the Rocky Mountain News shut down was a nine and a half hour hearing on the death penalty, and I never have to cover those again. And that mm-hmm. I'm very relieved about. You know, instead I can go out there and I can say, okay, maybe not everybody is sitting in this uh, uh, hearing about paid sick leave expansion, but I know that it's something business cares about, and so I will avoid the gun bills or the abortion bills, and I'm going to instead focus on the policy bills. And uh, and I think if there is anything that kind of makes me uh, effective in the eyes of people who, who read me, it's that I have that mindset of knowing what matters to business and what doesn't. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it kind of feeds into my next question. Journalism, probably in the 90s when you started, looked a lot different than it did to, uh, does today. Um, what, what do you think have been the kind of catalyst is behind the changes and what do you think is coming? What does journalism look like in the next five, ten years? The fragmentation of journalism uh, reminds me a lot of the fragmentation of our society in that people – when I started in the 90s and it was just at the very end of the curve when you could still say this. That was when people would refer to the daily paper or one of the daily papers. That was a time when a lot of cities still had two daily papers. That was a time when people would say, I saw it on the news and you would know that they meant one of the four uh, non-cable news stations that there were watching locally. And and everybody got their news from the same places and everybody talked about the same things. And I think as the internet came along and introduced more avenues for people to find news, it, it had good and and, and bad uh, outcomes. One uh, on the good side is that more things could be covered. I mean, there certainly was almost a bit of a monopoly when there's, you know, a daily paper and a couple of news stations and maybe a radio station or two that could be the gatekeeper for what was the news people would be talking about by this proliferation of uh, online sources, you suddenly could go and you could find things that they weren't covering. And some of them were quite substantial. Just look at the Pulitzers every year and how mm. at least one organization that's winning it is a online focused publication that is doing something that the, the, the general interest news isn't doing. Um, and, and that was great. But at the same point, it, it removed the commonalities from our language. People didn't read the same sources, and therefore people didn't have the same news anymore. Um, mm-hmm. They would talk about different things, and it would take a lot for a story to be on everyone's mind anymore. And so what you saw, and I guess what I'm frankly feeding into now is is continued fragmentation. You know, I'm not writing about uh, public safety activities. I'm not writing about sports. You know, I'm I'm writing about business policy and, and, and what – uh, we at the Summon Substance, or that's me, um, <laughs> the royal we, uh, are trying to do is to say, look, if you want to know about business policy, I want to be the source to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good because if you want to know about it, I, I feel like I can provide that. But at the same point, uh, you know, that's just one little thing. If you want to know about general business, I'm, I'm not the person to go to to hear about a business opening. I'm not covering those kind of things. If you want to know about you know, how your neighborhood schools are doing or how your neighborhood public safety is, that's different. And, and so the good and the bad side is people can, can come to a source like mine and know what they want, but, but 
they're going to have to search out a lot more uh, other sources to find the whole of what they want. And, and sometimes that also leads to you not being able to just open up the paper, flip through and say, hey, here's a story I would have never thought to look for, but I'm interested in. So going back, that was a long answer to your question about the changes in journalism. I think journalism is going to become even more fragmented. I think you're going to see more specific focuses of papers, of websites that succeed at this point. Uh, and you're going to see more struggles in general news publications as people learn to go to these more specific sites as well. And that's going to have both good and bad reverberations for society. Hmm. Well, the sum and substance, the way you've constructed it, it's easy to read. It's, it's a quick read. It's doses of information versus a 60-page print. Uh, so it's easily digestible and, you know, kind of in this busy world that we live in, it's, it's, I enjoy getting them uh, both from the chamber and from, from your postings. Uh, and so I appreciate that. Uh, we mentioned a little bit about trades. You know that we've been working kind of on um, an effort to be a renaissance, if you will, of the trades. The College for All model has been kind of the prevailing voice uh, down at the Capitol. Talk to me about, are we punching through, are we talking about enough about uh, opportunities in construction and service and the skilled trades? And if not, what, what more should we be thinking about? I think you absolutely are punching through. And I think that was apparent in March when Governor Polis uh, held a, a press conference to roll out his two big workforce development bills at the session, um, one of which you know offered uh, free credentialing for a number of in-need industries. Uh, and one of those half dozen industries very specifically was construction. I, I think clearly the message is out there that we need to, to move certain students away from the bachelor's degree model uh, and that not just that, but they can be very productive to their life and to their career uh, to get earlier into the workforce and to get into a skill set that may be more amenable to their natural abilities. Um, so I think in that sense, you are capturing the attention. You are starting to see people by saying we're going to give state funding to get people into apprenticeships or construction. You are starting to see the state acknowledge how valuable that industry is here. I mean, we talk about other bills that may not acknowledge that, but I mean, clearly there is, there is an effort uh, for that. In And I say this knowing that I recently went on a barnstorming tour with several other Colorado chamber leaders where we met with uh, members across the state and said, what are your issues right now? And we still heard the refrain, we can't find people to go into the trades in part because uh, the societal uh, change that looks down on that, that mm -hmm. we have not gotten over the idea that if you are going into the trades rather than into college, you are a lesser individual. Um, and and they, they talk about how that's even difficult with with local school districts. And I'm talking to K-12 here who, who understand the need to get their students in there, but get pushback from parents when they start introducing mm -hmm. trades uh, for their parents saying, no, 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 my kid's going to go to college just because that's the way uh, society has, has prodded them to think these days. So in some sense, I think the trades are breaking through and they are having that re – 
examination moment where people are saying, this is good and we need to think more about that. But I think there are still limits to that breakthrough and there needs to be a deeper effort in into uh, just the average mindset that, hey, this is cool. In fact, I, I will tell you one of my favorite lines from um, the, the recent barnstorming tour where we brought out a national consultant we have that works with chambers across the country. And he said, you know, look, if, if you say to a parent, your son can become a plumber, most parents would be like, I don't know. I don't know if I want that. But if you say to your parent, uh, your son can own a plumbing company, they'd be like, oh, that's great. And you have to understand that those are one in the same thing eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just need to get people to start down that training path. Yeah. Well, we, we are continuing to, to hedge and uh, to forge ahead, I should say, uh, and make sure that we tell our proposition. Uh, and it's great to see that we're getting some traction and certainly uh, always welcome your input because I know you got your ear to the ground there on things that we could do more of to, to kind of put our uh, best foot forward and, and attract because we want the salutatorians and the valedictorians coming into our industry just as much as the Florida you know, the college education or the college path wants those same students because, uh, you know, we have a problem. 50,000 new construction workers are needed in this state by 2030. Um, and so our focus has changed uh, and our efforts have changed. So appreciate you uh, being that beacon for us down there and listening for how we can do it better. No, and I appreciate people who reach out to uh, to us too and say, look, here's where it's lacking. Here's where we're not getting people trained in the skills we need. That's one of the things we're really pushing for now is to understand where those gaps are in the education and training system um, so that uh, so that people can have that smooth transition into getting into the trades. Well, you and I have a shared focus or ran into each other on one particular topic down at the Capitol most, and that has to do with affordable housing and construction defects, need I say, uh, and the reform that's taken place there. For us, the proposition is simple. We need 50,000 more workers. Therefore, we need places for those individuals to live, uh, workforce housing. Uh, and, you know, with as expensive as it become in this state for a single-family home, it's even more hyper-focused for us. Uh, what do you see happening as we wrap up this legislative session in the next couple of weeks on this particular topic? Well, I think there are dueling impetuses right now. I mean, on the one hand, you have Senate Bill 213, um, known as the Land Use Bill. But frankly, what it is, it's the cornerstone of Governor Polis's affordable housing package. Uh, it's a bill that essentially says, my idea is that the way that we fix our affordability crisis is that we build our way out of it. And this is going to loosen regulations and it's going to remove local obstacles. I mean, over the dead bodies of some local officials who are protesting it and allow uh, particularly more multifamily apartments to be built in transit-oriented and key corridors. Um, And it is a a bill that is not going as smoothly as everyone thought. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it struggled. It took 19 amendments to get it out of its first committee, and it got delayed uh, as we do this interview just this morning in its second committee um, because there are still questions around this bill. I think something will come out of it. I think there's got to be some sort of compromise with local governments. I'm not sure that will avoid lawsuits that will keep this bill from being implemented, but you will see something come out that will prod and push for more housing to be built this year. On the other hand, 
we're still dealing with the idea that the construction defects reform of six years ago, which did not prove to be, at least in the immediate future, as seismic as was hoped at the time, um, needs to go further. Uh, and people are saying it's also time to roll it back. I mean, we, we see bills, you and I have talked about this, not to get into the weeds too much, like an, a House Bill 1192, which uh, would create a, the ability to uh, sue under the Colorado Consumer Protection Act, um, which simply means, you know, including high damages with that and to sue for uh, single instances of fraud in any kind of product dissemination. What that translates to, there could be single uh, construction defects reform lawsuits, uh, construction defects lawsuits, excuse me, uh, involving single family homes, if that will were to pass as is right now. And that is a bill that is being debated heavily. Um, And it seems at odds that we are both talking about the absolute need to build more homes. And we are talking about the desire to make it much easier to sue over individual homes, which is going to slow down uh, the building of homes, period. So I think there is an inherent conflict there that we're going to see played out the rest of this session. And it's not going to stop this session. It's going to play out in the future, too. But it will be curious to see just how much uh, Governor Polis equates the two uh, and says, okay, we're going to have to remove the barriers to home building, not just in the regulatory sphere, which is what his bill does, but maybe look at that in the legal sphere in the future. Uh, it's certainly a topic of conversation that everybody's focused on, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the session ends up and what we get to work on this summer for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. So uh, uh, you and I both uh, enjoy beer. What are, what's your favorite beer you're drinking right now? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I as much as I need to drink more during the session, I find myself drinking less because I, I tend to work a lot of hours. But a couple that come to mind on, on the easy drinking side, um, Upslope recently made uh, an Italian-style Pilsner, um, mm. which is a Pilsner with just a little bit more hop bite and just a little bit cleaner. Cannibal Creek also does a fantastic one that it kind of rotates irregularly on its taps. Uh, so I've been enjoying that. Um, but when I just really want to dive into it, too, I'm still enamored with Westbound and Down's uh, Juice Caboose, a, a hazy IPA that it came out with last year that probably packs more flavor per uh, square inch than any hazy I can remember in a while. So hmm. I, I go both of those ways. But okay. uh, And you? I'll have to try it. Right now, I'm kind of on a French amber kick, and I oh. don't know. There's a couple French ambers I've been enjoying, and I always love a brown a good brown beer. Good brown, and I think browns are actually coming back. Yep. You know, I credit Telluride for uh, introducing its face down brown and reminding people just how tasty brown can be. That's probably the beer that you'll find in my fridge more than any other single beer. Hmm. Right. Well, good. We're only a couple of weeks away from being able to indulge. <laughs> All right, so tell me, uh, we always ask everybody, when they were a kid, uh, I would imagine you didn't in the K-12 system, elementary you weren't, I'm going to grow up and be a journalism or be the writer of the sum and substance. What was, what was your childhood aspirations? Well, I mean, again, since I was early in high school, I did want to be a writer. Um, mm. And I'm not sure that I ever sat down and said, I'm going to launch a news site for a statewide chamber of commerce. Pretty sure that didn't come to mind when I was 14. But writing was always my goal. Mm. Um, so, so I guess in that sense, 
sense, I've kind of fulfilled my, my dream and, you know, I've gotten to write a couple of books. I've been writing for 28 years professionally. Um, but as long as we're playing the, what did you want to be as a kid? I will also say, uh, when I was in first grade, I used to tell everyone I wanted to be a paleontologist. I was mm. fascinated with dinosaurs that kept up for a couple of years. Eventually I kind of segued more into, uh, the social sciences that I loved. I'm, I'm a big history geek, um, more so than the, uh, uh, the natural sciences, but, uh, but I still see it. I, I have, uh, two kids, a second grade son and a first grade daughter. Uh, and my second grader is still fascinated with dinosaurs. So, yeah. you know, I'm kind of reliving my childhood dreams every time we're going out to a, uh, a dinosaur dig or a museum and, and we can still talk about it. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Ed. That's going to conclude our show today. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate all your hard work at the Capitol. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on and let me talk a little bit about the Summon Substance, which is at tsscolorado.com in case any of your readers want to find it. And uh, look forward to speaking with you and anyone who may want to reach out to me and talk a little bit about the trades and, and what they need uh, on a policy standpoint. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Listeners, that is going to conclude our show today. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, and building our future. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.